As we continue this week, we're looking at this theme of love the Lord coming out of Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through 34. You're probably thinking that's the same scripture from last week. Yes, it is. Because we're really sticking to Mark 12:30 is where we're staying for the uh, majority of the time. But as you find your way there to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, as way of introduction, uh, I would like to give you some insight into Jesus' answer to the scribe on what the greatest commandment was and is. Now, William Barclay, he wrote, he gives us this insight. Jesus, is, Jesus takes the two great commandments and he puts them together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This single sentence is the real creed of Judaism. And you find that originally in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. There were three uses of the Shema. That's what that's called, the Shema, in the Jewish culture. The first is it was the sentence with which the service of synagogue began, and it still does to this day. Every service of the synagogue begins with the Shema. Secondly, the three passages of the Shema were contained in what is called a phylactery. You may say, wow, that's a big word. Well, Jesus, usually, uh, Jesus only emphasized that really at one time when he was talking about their pride. But the phylactery, we find out about that in Matthew 23, 5, was a little leather box that the devout Jew wore on his forehead or on his wrist. And within it was contained the Shema in one of those two places. And then the Shema was also contained in a little cylindrical box called the mezuzah, which was and is still affixed to the door of every Jewish house and the door of every room within it. So this was very important to the Jewish culture. That's, that's what they did. They fixed that Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that was vital to them. And then Jesus combined the two. That was the first. And then Jesus combines the second. You shall love the Lord. Uh, excuse me. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is taken from Leviticus 19.18. And Jesus intended for this to extend beyond just Jew to Jew to Jew to Gentile. And no rabbi had ever done this before. So I want you to understand that religion to Christ is loving God and loving people. True religion is loving God and loving people. To Jesus, loving the Lord will be lived out by loving his most prized creation. That's mankind. We know that's his most prized creation. So God wants us to love mankind. He wants us to love him first. But it's really fleshed out and evidenced by the way we love one another. Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples by the love you show to the brethren. So it's very important for us to understand that love is really the expression of the disciple that, is, that their soul, their heart, their mind, and their strength are all bound up in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this week, as we look at this, we'll look at what it means to love with all of our souls. To love with all of our souls. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to read Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, you follow along in your copy of God's Word. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, that means that they were talking and having a good conversation, healthy conversation, 
perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all of your heart, with all of the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. So as we look at this today, we see that this scribe has come to Jesus. He saw that Jesus was reasoning with the people. And he came and asked a legitimate question. What is the greatest commandment of all? And of course, Jesus tells, gives him the Shema. He tells him to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. In one, uh, one of the Gospels, one of the Gospel writers says, For all the laws and the commandments hang upon these two commandments. And we know that's talking about the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. So when Christ says that these are the two greatest commandments, he is really breaking those two things down. Love the Lord, love others. That's what we are called to do, to love God and to love others. Well, how do we do that? We love the Lord with all of our heart. We talked about that last week. Talking about how we love the Lord with all of our soul. Now, I want to be very clear. This is probably the most challenging of the four to preach on. It's the most challenging. We talk about our hearts a lot, right? The scripture talks about our heart a lot. And, and, the, and, the, and how the heart is, uh, serves and how it works and how it's regenerated and how it's taken out as a stony heart. And then it's replaced with a fleshly heart. But then we think about the mind, and we think about that's our intellect, and how we think, and how we, we, we uh, make decisions, and things of that nature. And then we think about the strength, we think about our, our bodily actions for the Lord. But the soul is a mysterious kind of part of what we think of. When we think of the soul, you know, a matter of fact, I've had someone ask me, you know, is, is, is man... Uh, a dichotomy or a trichotomy? And you're probably thinking, whoa, those are some big words. Way to drop that on us. I was going to drop that on you on a Wednesday night about a month ago, but it just ain't quite worked out yet. But what does that mean, a dichotomy? Does that mean man's just flesh and spirit? Or is man flesh, spirit, and soul? Trichotomy. We'll talk about that at some other time. But right now we're talking about how to love the Lord with all of our soul. But the soul is generally translated in two ways. By means of words which identify that part of the personality which lives on after death. Sometimes it's referred to as the shadow or the counterpart. The soul is considered in that way. By means of terms for life or insides or person. And in this latter meaning, it means to love the Lord with all of your heart. means to, and then to go on to say, with all of your life. That's your soul. Your soul is all of your life. 
And so we know that our lives, apart from Christ, creates or constructs all types of situations and scenarios to mimic that of wholeness. Apart from Christ, we're going to try to create something. And as we've been walking through the three circles, right? we got God's design. From God's design, we sin. And there's brokenness. And from that brokenness, all these things, our life constructs these things. That's going to try to make us whole. But it don't work, does it? It don't work. If you come on Wednesday nights, you can be trained in the three circles. We're walking through that. Getting people to get up and talk. Thank you for Brother Pat sharing it in front of everybody this past week. Next week, somebody else is going to get to get up and do that. Who's that going to be? Could be you. But when we think about that, we know that our lives, apart from Christ, creates or constructs all types of situations and scenarios to mimic that of wholeness. Now, as I said... Loving the Lord with all of our soul, that was, it was really challenging this week as I was studying, went through the Bible, looking at various scriptures, and I'm going to share many scriptures. It talks about how the soul is, a, is, is the life. The life and the soul are almost synonymous one with the other as we walk through scripture. But I found this book, and I, would, I read through several chapters. I can't say I read the whole book, but I read through several chapters in, in gaining some knowledge on really how to uh, really talk about this a little more. It's called The Secret Life of the Soul, J. Keith Miller. Very good book. I'm going to use some of, some of his writings here shortly. And I'd highly recommend it in what I read. But when we think about that, about how people apart from Christ that are lost, they try to construct all these different things to fill the emptiness of the soul. They know, their soul knows there is something missing. And throughout life, people fill it with all different types of things. They fill it with, with wealth or they fill it with material things. They fill it with relationships. Sometimes they go into drugs and addictions and things of that nature. They fill their lives with those things, but they're, they're, they're just a, a, a hollow shadow of what Christ brings when he brings fullness and completeness to your life. So J. Keith, J. Keith Miller wrote about the conflict of the converting of the soul. People hear about God and being saved in all sorts of ways, but often they aren't listening until their, li their own lives get very shaky. Maybe you, maybe even you have experienced that in your own life. You've experienced that. They don't hear, they don't listen to God until their life gets very shaky. The idea of getting help from God can come from all sorts of situations. Someone's personal testimony. You may hear a sermon. You may be in Sunday school or in a small group where you hear about Christ and about the gospel and the good news. You may hear about it from reading God's word or even meeting someone who's filled with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Somewhere, somehow, you may hear about that. And from this, the person in their soul gets this idea, maybe my life can change. Maybe my life could change. Maybe I could get out from under this lonely, hopeless charade that my lost life has constructed. Maybe I can. Just maybe. But that hope turns into the most intense trouble yet. When the suggestion is presented to the constructed person or the soul before Christ, that commitment uh, to God that, that commitment to God is a way of relief. The fleshly soul, 
The constructed personality may go ballistic in resistance to that news and re even reject the person that's offering the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Inside, there's this imprisoned soul that shouts faintly from its prison, pleading for the individual to face reality and surrender to God. On the other hand, the constructed personality, what you've constructed in your mind, that lost, that lost person almost from its grave. For the independence of our faults or familiar life as it is, the old man says, no way I'm giving up. No way I'm giving up control. Maybe you've went through that right before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that lost, that, that, that constructed person, and even the devil himself. Maybe he's just sent a demon to tell you these things, but he's like, no, don't do it. Hold on to that pew. Don't give in. Don't surrender. You're being irresponsible. You're not going to have control anymore. You're not going to be Lord of your life anymore. That's a good thing. But the devil don't want you to believe that. And neither do you in the flesh. Neither do you in the flesh. You'll even probably hear shaming voices that may come in and say things such as, Oh, ain't that sweet. Now you're going to be a holy person. You're going to be a weak little saint is what you're going to be. You hear these voices come in. Don't you remember uh, super Christian aunt so-and-so? Don't you remember her, how everybody laughed at her behind her back? You remember her? They're going to do the same thing to you. They're going to do the same thing to you. Or maybe you're a rational, logical person. Somebody who, uh, listen, I, I've got a degree, but, but you go out into these secular universities and you've got this secular viewpoint on all these things. And, and the voices might say, that's not logical. It's not logical. It is ridiculous and naive that you should turn over control of your life to God. Even if there is a God, copping out by giving up responsibility for your life is intellectually irresponsible. Maybe that's being said inside your mind. You battle these thoughts. Still the persistent soul cries out from prison. You need help. You need help. Facing the truth can set you free. The reality is that you are about to go under if you don't surrender. And you are powerless to stop the destruction. And I want you to know that that is 100% true. You are powerless apart from Christ. You will go under apart from Christ. You will go under. But Christ, but Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, Paul wrote to them in Corinth. He said, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we knew Christ according to the flesh. That's talking about when he walked the earth. Yet we know him thus no longer. We don't know him as he walked the earth. We know him as, he, as we saw him at the end. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That soul, that heart, Ezekiel, I believe it's 11.9, that stony heart has been taken out and that new heart has been put in. And now you have a new life. 
You are a new creation. You've got a new soul. This is not you remade. This is you made whole and completely different. You are a new person in Christ. The old things have passed away. Listen, that is the most beautiful thing when we think about that. It's the most miraculous thing when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ and they give their life over to Him. There is nothing more worth celebrating than the regenerated heart that comes about from the lost, dead enemy of Christ that now becomes the found, regenerated save soul of the individual. I mean, there should be shouts. They say they're shouting all in the throne room of heaven. The angels are shouting. And, and there's, there's, there's praise in the presence of the angels. That's talking about Jesus. Listen, there should be praise in the house of the Lord when someone gives their life to Christ. It should not be a ho-hum. It shouldn't be when, when someone comes down front that there's not a shout, that there's not a praise, that there's not a hallelujah, that there's not something glorious that happens when that soul is, has turned over and loving the Lord instead of loving themselves more. That's something we rejoice. We know that when people come through the waters of baptism, that that's not their salvation. That's to let everybody know that they have salvation. But when they come out of that water, we should rejoice in that. People on Facebook should hear other people's voices out here instead of just mine when someone comes up out of that baptistry. It should be a joyous occasion for the whole church. It should be a joyous occasion. And that soul, that life is born again. And your desires and your soul are made new. And the together with the heart, the soul, the soul will change that conduct of that individual. And that conduct should be to desire after God, the living God. And we think about what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall, I, when shall I come and appear before God? That's a soul that has been changed. A soul that pants after God. That means to desire Him. You know, you've ever, you ever wanted something really bad in your life, really wanted it? You went after it. You forsook so many other things. So many things that could take your time and take your money and take all these different things, but you forsook those things for a time. You said, well, you know what? We need a new house or we need a new car or I need this. Or it might have been you husbands chasing after your wife. You forsook these other things and you said, I got to go after her. See, that's the, that's the desire that we should have for Christ. We forsake these other things and we say, I'm going after Jesus. Just as that deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, oh God. And for those of you that are hunters, you know exactly what that looks like when that deer comes down to that stream or that brook and is just drinking from that water. As you've seen them run down there to it. It's a desire. It's something we need. We know we need that living water that comes through Jesus Christ and He alone. And we search after that. So how do we love 
with our soul. How do we love the Lord our God with all of our soul? One writer, his name's Justin Hoffman, he wrote, the primary meaning of the word that is here translated soul is breath. Recognizing how interlinked our breathing is with our existence, it is no surprise that many translations commonly use the word life in place of soul. Another writer, his name's Albert Barnes, he pointed out, to love the Lord with all your soul then means to be willing to give up the life to him and to devote it all to his service, to live to him and to be willing to die at his command. That's, that's a big sacrifice. That's a big giving up. The second command Jesus teaches us is to love our neighbors ourselves from Mark 12, 31. But the first command is to love God better than ourselves. To love God better than ourselves. And there's a distinction between our soul, our life, and the lives of Plants and animals. You know what I mean? We, we get so caught up in plants and animals. But, but there's a difference between the soul. Our soul is created immortal. It will last forever. Thus, to love the Lord with all our soul requires loving him with a vision that transcends our time on earth and surrenders our eternity to him. That is to love the Lord with all of our soul. The ancient Jewish writers appreciated this aspect of God's command when in the Mishnah they provided the following interpretation. With all thy soul, even if he should take away thy soul. Love the Lord with all your soul. So to love with all our soul is to love with the eternality of ourselves, not the finite of ourselves love with the eternal love with with our soul with every bit of who we are so often the soul is represented in the scriptures as the life of the person as mentioned earlier listen to these passages of scripture psalm 23 3 he being god restores my soul psalm 42 5 why are you cat why excuse me why are you cast down O my soul and why are you disquieted within me hope in god for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalm 119, 175. Let my soul live and it shall praise you. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And in 3 John, verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The greatest way for the soul to prosper is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the greatest way for the soul to prosper. And our soul is then bound with the love of Christ for an eternity with Christ. That's the greatest relationship. It's the greatest love. And when we experience that love, we're going to have actions that come from us Colossians 3, 12 through 14 tells us this. Therefore, as the, elect, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these, put on love, 
which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. These are the outworkings of someone who loves the Lord with all their soul. This is the outworking of that. With the love of God that is bonding of our souls, we must act in a way that reveals this bound relationship. We must act in that way. And the scripture from Colossians gave us the characteristics of the soul, the life, the shadow, or the counterpart, as we read earlier, that is bound to Christ. A soul that loves Jesus puts on these things. The soul that loves Jesus puts on tender mercies. The soul that loves Jesus puts on kindness. The soul that loves Jesus shows humility, not pride. The soul that loves Jesus is long-suffering, meaning patient. We are patient with other people. The soul that loves Jesus has a forgiving spirit. A forgiving spirit. We talked about that on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. The soul that loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is who this person is. That is who we are to be. We are to express the love of Christ in these tangible ways which are a revelation of a changed heart and a loving soul. And Christ first modeled these characteristics and actions in his own life. So we don't just, we don't have someone to look to. We don't have someone to not look to. We have Christ to look to as our model of what it means to love the Lord or love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For he is one, as the Shema says. So when we see this, how did Jesus model loving with his own soul? He loved his Father. When God the Father gave the order for him to come, to live, to be born of a virgin, to live a life without sin, to die on the cross in our place for our sin, to be buried, and to be raised again, that was showing his love for the Father. He was loving the Lord God with all of his soul. He loved his Father in obedience. And I just basically talked to you about all that. Jesus even said, the words that I speak, they're not my words. The words I speak come from my Father. I don't speak of my own accord. I speak only what the Father gives me. He was in obedience. So he loved his Father in obedience. He loved his Father in giving. He gave his life. Scripture tells us that from the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. Because that was the plan. They knew it was going to happen. You know why? Because he lives outside of time. That's really hard to explain. Not getting into that today. But he, was, he loved his Father in giving. He gave his life. He gave of his time. It's what Christ did. Christ, he loved his Father in leading. He loved those that the Father gave him. He said, I've loved them all. I've led them all. He said, and I've kept them all except for the son of perdition, which you knew, Father God. He led them all. He loved his Father in leading. He loved his Father in sacrifice. He saw what it was like. He modeled what it was like to unfortunately lose friends and how to deal with that. 
He modeled that. He modeled that as sacrifice when he surrendered himself and went to the cross in our place for our sins. He knew it was coming. Even in the garden, when the, when the guards come to get him, he told Peter, put away the sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And he knew what was to come. He was willing and ready to sacrifice because he loved the Lord God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his body. He loved his Father in humility. He submitted to the plan that was set forth from the beginning. He knew that he must do what the Father had set out to do. He loved others with tender mercies. Just a few weeks ago, we can look back to our, our scripture on Sunday morning where Jesus is found in the center of those men with that woman caught in adultery. And he showed tender mercies to that lady there caught in adultery. And he says, which of you without sin, you may cast the first stone. And he just bends down. And he's showing mercy on this lady because he knew everybody out there had sin. Except for who really had the opportunity to throw the stone? He himself. And he chose not to. He showed tender mercies. He loved others with meekness. That's power under control. When Satan tipped him in the desert and he had every opportunity to show he had all the power in creation. He withheld that power, but you know the power that he used? The Word of God. You know, Satan said, you could call down 10,000 angels. You only have to stump your toe, basically, is what he was saying. And he said, you know what, I ain't worried about that. Don't tempt the Lord thy God. And he quoted Scripture right back to him, didn't he? That's what he did. He used meekness. He loved others with long-suffering or patience. Could you imagine dealing with Judas? You know he knew that he was stealing money out of that purse all the time. But he still loved him through it. Gave him an opportunity. Spoke to him. He was very patient. You got James and John, the sons of thunder. Who's greater? Which one's going to sit on your left and on your right? Could you imagine? Man, I got to deal with these guys. <laughs> he was very patient with those guys. He was very patient. He's patient with us, right? In his grace, he deals with us. For it is by grace through faith that you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God in Christ Jesus. It is by his grace he's being very patient with you today. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, he has shown you. It might not be saving grace yet. It's patient grace. The Lord is not slack, as some consider slackness, but it is his desire that all repent and come to faith in him. He's being very patient with you today. He loved all by bearing with them, by forgiving them, by forgiving them. When Peter denied him, Jesus knew it was going to happen. Then Peter did deny him. And then what did Jesus do? He restored him. Jesus forgave him. Jesus can forgive you too. Jesus is a forgiving God. Jesus is our model of how to love the Father or love the Lord with all of our souls. He is the model. Do you love him with all of your soul? Have you ever been forgiven? Have you ever surrendered your life to him? Are you forgiving others as Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven you? Are you doing that? Are you loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul? Are you doing that today? If not, I want to encourage you to do this. 
Get your heart right with the Lord. You do that by submitting your will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Surrendering all of who you are to all of who He is. To all of what He has called every believer to do. He's called us to serve Him. He's called us to go. That's what He's called us to. If you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that's going to be seen by the way you treat others. Just as I read from Colossians 3, put on tender mercies. Put on humility, kindness, long-suffering, forgiveness. That's someone who loves the Lord with all their soul.